Welcome to St. Alphonsus Wellcast, the podcast where we explore the many facets of health and well-being. This podcast is brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Well-Being and a generous grant from the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the St. Alphonsus Wellcast. This is Kim Cleveland. I'm the nurse practitioner with St. Alphonsus in the Department of Corporate Health and Well-Being. Today, we are talking about all things related to the heart. We have Amber Kirtley Perez with us. She is a physician assistant with St. Alphonsus in Boise, Idaho with the Department of Cardiology. Originally from Haley, Idaho, she went to Boise State for her undergrad degree and PA school at the University of North Dakota. Now she works with St. Al's in the Department of Cardiology, and part of her position is running the Preventive Lifestyle Clinic within the department, which is aimed toward reducing risk and preventing cardiovascular disease. Thank you so much for coming, Amber. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, it's going to be fun to have this conversation. It's one I've been looking forward to for a while. Oh, good. We have a little surprise at the end, which we're excited about. Mm-hmm. We also have Candy Zapia on with us, our community health educator, and she will be chiming in from time to time with her own questions and comments. Yes, hello. So Amber, let's get to it. Can you give me an idea of how you got into the medical field and cardiology and what your interest is? I got into the medical field um, after one of my cousins was an x-ray tech and we chatted and that's what I decided to go to school for, then went on to nuclear medicine and then really found that the heart was very interesting to me and so went into the cardiac cath lab and then decided to go back to PA school. And then since I'd worked with the cardiology um, physicians for a long time, I was a natural fit to move over into that realm. But they were super excited to bring you on. (laughs) I don't know. You can ask. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great. Um, Well, good. I'm so glad that you're enjoying your position there. And it sounds like you've kind of carved out a really interesting niche with doing cardiac disease prevention. Yeah, it's been fun. Uh, The department has grown a ton, and we're really trying to work on decreasing risk. So it's been nice that I can push a lot of the patients who um, just have diabetes or hypertension or hyperlipidemia over to me to manage risk instead. And then the physicians are seeing more of just the heart disease and treating those patients and being able to do procedures. So it's been nice. Yeah, it seems like the field has been just from, you know, perusing the medical journals and even popular magazines. It seems like the field is sort of advancing in terms of, you know, you see all these new medications that are listed or there's always seems to be an article about things you can do to reduce your cardiac risk or touting this diet or that exercise program. And it seems like there's a lot of opinions, but then also a lot of new data in the field. Does that sound accurate? It does. And The AHA, or the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, have done a great job in trying to keep up and doing lots of research. We are having new drugs in every single aspect of the field between cholesterol or heart failure or even diabetes. And now we're really getting into anti-obesity medications as well, which is really neat Mm -hmm. to help start reducing risk. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, what in terms of the prevalence of cardiovascular disease are you guys seeing in your field? So you would think that with all these new found fun medications that we have and people stopping smoking, so the amount of smokers have decreased a ton in the last 20, 25 years, but due to the increasing risk of or increasing prevalence of diabetes, more hypertension, especially at younger age, childhood obesity, um, we're actually seeing a rise in cardiovascular disease, hmm. and it's still the number one killer in America of men, women, and of all ethnic varieties. 
That's not as encouraging as we'd <laughs> like to hear with some of the advancements. It feels like. That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> it is a bummer. Yeah. But it's something that we can work on. And that's what I really am striving for is that we can get out in the community more. This is the time that, gosh, maybe we should really start talking to high school kids. Right. And really working on how, what can we do nutrition wise? And we're not invincible in realizing that. True. True. Yeah, it seems to me, you know, it sort of goes back to all that perceived risk, perceived benefit that we all know mm-hmm. about as far as health educators. Is, you know, it, it's interesting because a lot of the decisions that people are making in terms of creating a lifestyle for themselves, particularly in younger ages, are impacting their heart long term. But their perceived risk as a 20 to 30 year old who doesn't currently have any symptoms of cardiac disease is pretty low, right? Yeah, it's, you know the prevalence now of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and they're seeing it in children. So the types of diet we're eating at home, we're not eating at home. We're not eating with our parents. We're not eating with our kids as a parent. We're eating in the car. We're eating on the way to a game. We really have to remind ourselves the things we can be doing at home to start decreasing the risk just with foods. Right. Is there any particular diet that that you can recommend or that you see a lot of benefit for with patients in terms of preventing cardiac disease or metabolic syndrome and, and that? Or are there some basic principles you think may be helpful? So the most studied diets, Mediterranean and now more plant-based, I try to really talk to patients about being more plant-forward. If we can get more mm. fruits, vegetables, beans, whole grains into our daily diets, we tend to weigh less, less diabetes, better blood pressure cholesterol goes down too. Um, so those are the diets we talk about the most. Um, I get a lot of questions whether or not keto is, you know, the best way to go. Or I had a gentleman the other day who was really into the carnivore diet and that's only meat, literally nothing else. I didn't know much about it. So the ones that are more plant forward tend to be the best and have the most research. Unfortunately, nutrition studies are lacking. Mm-hmm. We don't do a lot mm-hmm. of them. They don't make money there. So it's mostly what you can Google, but the most studied best are Mediterranean and more plant forward or plant based. Yeah, I was listening to an interesting um, another podcast this morning and, and they were kind of talking about reducing like highly processed, highly palatable foods. Mm-hmm. And, and I started looking even at myself or my kids and I'm very health conscious. You know, I consider myself health conscious and I'm really health conscious with my kids. Like you might find me in the pantry with like a Reese cup once in a while, but I'm hiding it from them. And as far as they're concerned, we eat, you know, mostly really, really healthy foods. But then I was thinking more through it and I was like, well, you know, there still are a lot of like packaged things that I kind of let filter into our house. Like, you know, occasionally that little oh pack of goodness, goldfish. Yeah. I'm like, oh, but they granola have their bars. Yeah, granola bars. Yeah. Well, it's so easy. It it's so much easier when it comes to, especially when you're starting to pack their lunch, like to just have things that can grab and mm-hmm. go. But remember, it's the whole big picture. Right. So you can't be perfect all the time. But right. if you can be 80% really trying, and then if you do want to give your kids a chicken nugget, <laughs> don't get down <laughs> on yourself for it. And them seeing you make you know, decisions with the peanut butter cup, or for me, it's a York peppermint patty. Mm. It's okay to do that. We just don't do it all the time. Like we don't keep ice cream in the house, but you bet that we'll go to the still and try to enjoy the ice cream on occasion. Yeah. So, because you want to teach that moderation to your kids too. Otherwise they're going to think, right. Oh boy. Like we don't eat anything. It's just fruit and vegetables. (laughs) I like how you're bringing in that intentionality to it too, because, you know, I noticed like 
giving him that little cheese stick or, you know, that's not even a bad snack, but like, you know, whatever palatable, highly processed food that I just throw them in the back seat on their way home. Like, I don't know that it really registers as food for them. And I think, you know, thinking about myself too, that's another thing, like just, you know, being sure that we're prioritizing those like meals together or at least sitting down and eating and that kind of thing seems like it's a good first step. Oh, a hundred percent. They even like we've got one of my daughters, she's involved in gymnastics. And if we don't get to eat dinner with her still, when she comes home and one of us has picked her up, we sit chat with her while she's eating and we still get that family vibe and know that we've cooked a nice dinner she's gonna come home and still eat it but we do like tonight we'll eat dinner at four o'clock so we can all eat as a family mm-hmm. and it's something that we just strive to do yeah I think that's right. really that's that's great um so okay so eat more fruits and vegetables please <laughs> beans and frozen frozen one frozen. frozen too like it doesn't have oh, to be yeah. fresh it doesn't have to be organic and if anything just please eat them yeah <laughs> just eat them <laughs> i like it are there what other risk factors so we kind of talked a little bit about diet but what other risk factors are you seeing in terms of cardiac disease and um you know that metabolic syndrome and all of that so family history always plays a huge risk mm-hmm. and so that's always you should talk to your family i'm always surprised when people are like well, i don't know grandpa mm. so talk to your parents talk to your grandparents knowing your numbers is huge the sooner you know you have a problem so say you have familial high cholesterol the sooner you know that oh, wow, my dad did too, and I got my numbers checked at 20, we can really have a good conversation. Um, Blood pressure, that's another number I feel like is not paid attention to as much. Um, Know what your blood pressure is. Know that anything over 120 over 80 or getting up in 130 over 85 is too high, and we need to really talk about managing it. Don't smoke. Don't vape. Like, that's a big risk factor Mm -hmm. that we just try to eliminate. Um, not getting diabetes. So that's where, again, knowing your numbers, making sure your A1C is in a good range. And if you do start seeing it creep up, chat with a registered dietitian or your primary care provider and being like, so what can I do to lower my A1C or even your fasting glucose? And then um, drugs, please just don't do them. (laughs) And actually alcohol is also, you know, you have to be mindful with that too. Um, knowing what the actual amounts are and then also being aware that um, your IPAs are higher ABV and we actually count those for two beverages because when you're counting a beer, it's 5% of a 12 Um, ounce. And if you're drinking like a 12 ounce, 8%, it's a little bit more than what you necessarily think. Oh, those are all interesting points that I wouldn't have necessarily <laughs> thought about. Oh, when you ask about that glass of wine, you make sure yeah, <laughs> it's the glass. It like, it's a five right. ounce. So when you are talking about knowing your numbers and checking them earlier, what age are you recommending that people start having their cholesterol checked periodically or their blood pressure or whatnot? In your 20s. Mm-hmm. That's like when we need to remind kids that, oh, you've grown up. You no longer need a pediatrician, but Mm. you really should get a primary care doctor. I see a lot of patients who are in their late 30s, 40s, and even 50s who have not been to a primary care doctor, don't know that their blood pressure is high. And then we see them in an acute event, like Mm -hmm. they've had a heart attack or they've had a stroke, and they didn't know their blood pressure was 210 over 110. Okay. So the in your 20s would be the best time. And then it's recommended, at least for cholesterol, to do it every five years Mm -hmm. and just keeping an eye on it because it does increase with age or Mm -hmm. change with your diet preference. Yeah. 
Right. And people are always trying out new diets oh. and things these oh, days. Yeah, so, yeah, I think that's um, that's one thing that I remember from when I was working in primary care is like, you know, you'd see somebody and they'd come in for maybe a sinus infection or their stomach was feeling unwell and you'd notice they had a high blood pressure and you'd say like, oh, they're probably stressed because of X, Y, or Z. But but I think, you know, patients and people taking it upon themselves to note that number and then to have it rechecked in a month or two and just make sure that's not a trend, I think is probably important in terms of Oh, incredibly knowing. important. And with the fact that there's so much salt in food and mm-hmm. the recommendation is 2000 milligrams and it's actually come out around 1500 milligrams now with the American Heart Association, which is... That's low. It's low. And it's really, <laughs> it's really hard low. to do. And so... I always, I'm recommending, I'm like, okay, your blood pressure is a little high. I want you to go home and I want you to read some labels. Mm-hmm. Write it down. Let's see where you're at. Yeah. And I'm surprised when I track it myself. I'm like, oh, man, I'm 4,000 milligrams today. Mm-hmm. I'm like, right. that's a big deal. And I feel like I do okay. And so really paying attention because if you can cut out some of the processed foods, mm-hmm. the chips, yeah. you know, the crackers and cheese. Mm-hmm. You start cutting that out a little bit, and people do see really big improvements with their blood pressure. Right. And there's so many things to help you now. Like, I mean, instead of, you know, writing stuff down, I mean, our phones, our apps, there's <laughs> apps to track everything. You can just go to the grocery store. And I remember, I can't even remember what the app was, but it would give you like a green, yellow, or red for the food. Like a I think grade. that's Noom, the Noom app. Okay. And it was just like, so you could just beep a food, and it'll tell you. And then I would like, you know, if you're in the cereal section let's yeah. say you know I mean all of those all the cereals are real high on carbs and everything and stuff like that but it was like kind of fun to just click one and say well, totally. okay well this one's better so I'll take this one right or, you know so there's lots of resources to help um if people get intimidated with like oh I've got to track everything let your phone do it for you yeah, <laughs> use the technology for the good that it was yeah <laughs> No, that's so great. So, okay, so we talked a little bit about risk factors, the family history being a big one, um, and then, you know, the blood pressure and all those other things, too. But let's say someone's healthy and has very few risk factors for heart disease. What are the some of the major things someone in that position can do in order to prevent cardiovascular disease, like on a day-to-day basis? Like, what are some really simple habits you think you could incorporate? Sleep. <laughs> oh, I mean, to be honest... I mean, the recommendation is now seven hours. Right. And that's uninterrupted. So, yes, you know, those of you who have young kids, that makes it a little bit more difficult. But good sleep, making sure you ask your spouse, do I snore? Oh, why is my Mm. mouth really dry? Is that my allergies or am I, like, mouth breathing terribly? Because if you have untreated sleep apnea, that's a big risk factor, too. Mm -hmm. So getting that addressed if you're not getting good rest. Another thing is exercise. We don't. And... We need to be better. And all I want people to do is, is to go for a walk. And the recommendation is 150 minutes a week. And that's on the low end. But think mm-hmm. that's like 30 minutes, five days a week of brisk walking. Or you can do, you know, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. You know, you can split it up to however you want. But the more we can move as we become such a sedentary society, that can also help really decrease risk. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, how do you feel when you're exercising? Right. Yeah. Because maybe... You know, you can prevent something from happening happening earlier by knowing how your body feels when you're pushing itself. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, that's another thing. And I guess another point to bring up too would be that that exercise, that brisk walk is outside of your activities of daily living, right? Because mm-hmm. I do remember when I would ask people a lot, you know, are you exercising or what are you doing for exercise? And they'd say like, oh, I walk up the stairs to brush my teeth or something. And yeah. and just knowing that 
that's a very short period of time and it doesn't necessarily count toward that daily exercise goal, correct? Well, and work doesn't either. So you'll have somebody, a construction worker, and they're like, well, I'm on my feet all day. Well, it's not getting that heart rate up to that brisk amount, which, right. you know, you can call it like zone two or, or whatever you want. But I just want you, you should be able to um, talk, not sing. And okay. it's really pushing that for that 20 to 30 minute mark and keeping the heart rate up. And walking is easy, at least for most, making sure that people live in a safe neighborhood, good sidewalks, have good balance. And so those are always good, good conversation time. Good footwear is another <laughs> right. one. Please don't walk in your flip flops. Um, <laughs> but just trying to get people to move is, and sleep. Those, yeah. I think, are the two cardiovascular risk factors that are not discussed enough. In because we know about blood pressure, we know about your cholesterol, we know about diabetes, but what can we do to prevent those? Sleep and walking, especially when you're young, when we're invincible, guys. And what about stress? Mm. Stress is a huge risk factor. Yeah. How do you modify it? So, you know, you talk about it. Is it really worthwhile to be stressed? How's my job? Mm -hmm. How's my family life? Should I maybe meditate? Should I take some time to myself? Should I be walking to get time away to enjoy myself, enjoy my surroundings, de-stress, decompress, um, really making sure that you're, how do I want to say, enjoying life? Because mm-hmm. yeah. when you're super stressed, it does make your blood pressure go up. It makes mm-hmm. us eat unwell. I know when I'm stressed, I'm like, where's my cookie? Where's my candy? <laughs> where's the Cheez-Its? Yeah. So just trying to moderate that and figure what's going to work for you because it may not work for the next person, but really making sure you can manage it and how to manage it and using all the tools. Right. Right. What do you do to manage stress, Candy? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I like to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like that that time mainly because I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my kids aren't there and I'm able to just kind of like zone out and be alone and listening to good music. Like if I'm in the kitchen, because I don't really like to cook that much. Yeah. Um, but if I turn on my Alexa and I turn on like my favorite songs and things like that, like that just, it changes my whole mood. Uh-huh. I'm not, you know, getting frustrated over, oh, I still got to help the kids with their homework. I still need to get this done. <laughs> I got to cook this, you know, got laundry, all these things to do. And it just kind of like puts me in a good mood. So I think just finding the things that make you happy that aren't necessarily you know food related but like (laughs) but other things other Mm -hmm. things like moving your body listening to good music calling a friend that you know doesn't stress you out yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) reading a book yes reading a book or listening to you know a podcast or story you know as long as it isn't like too true crime yeah exactly (laughs) that gets my heart going exactly (laughs) it doesn't count as zone two cardio yeah (laughs) No, I, I personally feel like I'm super type A. Like, I'm always rushing from one thing to the next. I'm waking up. The minute I wake up, I'm rushing to get the kids ready, rushing to get myself ready, dropping them off, going to work, doing the stuff at work, rushing to this, you know, this appointment. And, and you know, inevitably someone spills the orange juice and, and there's, you know, a mess somewhere that I feel like I have to clean up right now and then I have to make dinner. And I don't know. I was listening um, to a friend tell me earlier in the week, you know, she started using this technique with like a double inhale with a single exhale. So sort of like breathing in as deep as you can and then taking another little inhale and then breathing out through your mouth. And I've started trying a few times an hour when I'm in that like stressful zone, mostly like right before work and then after work, the push to bedtime (laughs) and trying to implement it a couple of times. And I've had my kids start doing it, too. Like we all kind of take them in and we... 
you know, and mm-hmm. and I it does kind of like recenter you, like okay, this isn't an emergency, right? Because you know? I think that cortisol and the you yeah. know the yeah. stress hormones being activated so much as that you know that day to day stress even outside of. Well, and then you, you know, think stressors. your lack of sleep, and then oh, it's just a downhill. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I think I, for me, like that's been something helpful. I like your suggestions of sort of turning on good music and trying yeah. to to make it a fun experience, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. and and taking time for yourself and using that as the added benefit. Sounds really great too. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit more about um, cholesterol and that LDL cholesterol and why we should care about it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that is what's going to build up the plaque in your heart arteries. So when someone comes in for um, like their daily, not daily, their yearly labs, you get a total cholesterol, you get your high density lipoprotein, so your HDL, which is the good cholesterol per se. You have triglycerides, and then you have your LDL, which is your low-density lipoprotein, and that's your bad cholesterol. So it's important to know what that number is because if it's greater than 100, the risk is a little bit higher in the lay person. And so that's something that we want to be like, oh, so what are the things that we can do before a medicine? That's when we talk about saturated fat. We talk to a registered dietitian, be like, hey, we really need to work on decreasing the cheese in your diet. And we need to really work on increasing fiber because that's something that we could do to help lower your cholesterol. Because say if I go in and my cholesterol is high, I'm not there yet for a medication. Right. But let's. what can I do right now to help decrease that risk? And that's why the LDL is the most important one because we know that's the one that builds up the plaque that's going to cause people to have a heart attack. So you have... High LDL cholesterol builds up these plaque deposits on your arteries, which then can clog the artery and cause the heart attack. And that's sort of like the definition of heart disease, right? Yes, because they build up in the arteries over time and then they can break off. And that's when we know there's a bigger problem. And then so just going back to some of the high cholesterol, high blood pressure discussion also, it seems like there have been some major advancements in treating cholesterol. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the new medications that are coming down the line? Yeah. So we have our standards, you know, your statin medicines, and those are our first line of defense, most studied drugs that we have. And so it'll be like Lipitor. Lipitor, and Crestor, Pravastatin, yeah. um, okay. um, those type of drugs. There's another drug that we use called Zetia that we use in conjunction with that. It only can lower LDL between 10 and 15%. So it's not the best drug, but it can help as an adjunctive drug. The two newer drugs that we have, um, the one is called a PCSK9 inhibitor, and it works in the liver to help block a protein, the PCSK9 protein. And then the newest drug that um, has come out is called Lecvio, and it actually works on the mRNA above the level of the PCSK9. And it's what's great about that is it's um, delivered twice a year, an injection twice Ooh. a year, whereas our other PCSK9 inhibitors are twice a month and statins are daily. So, Can you just go back and explain to me what it was that you just said? <laughs> the PS... PCSK9. Okay, what is which that? Which is a, it's a protein in your body that helps okay. make cholesterol. And LDL cholesterol is the bad one. Right. And so it blocks it off and it's like oh hey we're not going to make you anymore and it's really really neat and the fact that we can do and use these now is huge because it's really helping with our um, patients who've got familial high cholesterol because their numbers are pretty extreme and so you can see reductions from 300 to into the 30s and 40s with these drugs so it's really 
we have huge advancements. But again, the biggest thing is cost. And just like all of these fun new medications that we have, cost tends to be the most prohibitive. So we go back to our standards. But we do have tools and eventually it will get cheaper and we'll be able to treat more. Good. Okay. So in terms of these medications and who might be eligible for them? Like who are you putting on these like newer medications or even these statin medications that we've had for a long time? So statins, number one, if you've had a heart attack, that's what you get. And we uh, we can trial lots. The goal, if someone has a heart attack, your LDL is less than 70. Your goal LDL, if you have diabetes and had a heart attack, is 55. So the lower, the better. And But if we have um, a risk calculator... Um, the ASCVD risk calculator, and it's great. So you can put your age, you can put your um, ethnic background, blood pressure, your cholesterol numbers, and it kind of pops out. You have a moderate risk, a low risk, a high risk. And so usually if you're under the age of 40 and you don't have any other risk factors, but your cholesterol is high, but you don't have high blood pressure or diabetes, we really work on diet. You're not going to be eligible yet for a medication. If you have hypertension, put you a little bit higher risk. We talk about maybe we should add in a statin. If you have diabetes, it's a recommendation no matter what to be on a statin medication. If someone comes in and their LDL is greater than 190, that's most likely familial high cholesterol. And we talk about a statin medication regardless of age um, and to really reduce risk because you can be building up plaque starting, Mm -hmm. you know, in your younger years. And the older you are, the more risk you have. And we want to make it so you don't have a heart attack, at least in your 40s. That makes sense. So truly lowering that LDL cholesterol is going to be a paramount portion of um, decreasing your overall cardiac risk, whether or not you have known cardiovascular disease. Um, So, you know, we have this really interesting, exciting pilot that we are launching, which we're super excited to have you involved with. Um, So let's talk a little bit about that. So it's this LDL pilot program, which we are running within our St. Alphonsus colleagues currently and maybe expanding depending on how things go. But it's an eight-week program that we're using to lower LDL cholesterols in otherwise healthy individuals. Um, so it's for otherwise healthy adults without a known history of heart disease in themselves. Um, and so we'll be incorporating some interactive educational activities um, along with some individualized health coaching to help participants incorporate participants incorporate what they're learning into their everyday life and, and make it sort of adaptable to them. Um, and then afterward, we're excited to offer um, a consultation with you to <laughs> sort of further lower risk. So what could somebody expect from that visit or from you, the interaction with you in terms of, you know, what are you guys going to talk about and, and what are the goals going to be with your interactions? Yeah. So if you've gotten to me, well, we know that the number is a little bit higher than what we want it to be. So we talk about a lot of it's going to be family history because I want to know, well, mom, dad, siblings, what happened to them? Are they still alive? And if they did have a heart attack or have had stents placed or bypass surgery, what age were they? So men under the age of 55, women under the age of 65 is an increased risk. Also, we talk about well, we talk about medications. Do you want them? Do you know? How can I get you to try it if that's what we're going for? A lot of times we'll order a coronary artery calcium score, which is going to go and look at the calcium in your heart, in your arteries, and it gives us a number. And then it gives you a risk based on age. And so it can be zero to 100, 100 to 400, 400 or greater. And it talks about risk. And sometimes that can push someone who's been hesitant to trial medication 
to go on a medication. So it can kind of show the results mm-hmm. of that, like ongoing high LDL cholesterol. Yeah. And sometimes not everyone's like, oh, I, you know, I want to take a medicine. And so you show them the data, you show them what's inside them and they're like, oh, yeah. oh okay. <laughs> but even if it's zero that, you know, we have another discussion if you can still have soft plaque versus hard plaque and the really the big thing that I will work on is all the other individual risk factors too. Okay. So it, it's figuring out where we should go now with just your cholesterol and let's manage every other risk like do we need to do a sleep study? How is that blood pressure? Let's talk about the salt. And it's a big it's a whole team effort, but for me it's going to be really working on what can I do to really decrease that with what's going on inside. So it sounds like you're looking at the whole person and engaging all of their (laughs) different risk factors since we know it's not just ever one individual thing that causes the the cascade of events. I wish it was just one because it would be easy to modify that. So, okay, so what I've gathered from this conversation is to prevent cardiovascular disease, eat more vegetables, Mm -hmm. fruits, whole grains, beans. Um, Your family history is going to be a huge risk factor for you going forward. So talking to your family and finding out what's gone on with grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, and (laughs) siblings in terms of heart health is an important piece of the puzzle. Um, Lowering your blood pressure, at least having an awareness of your blood pressure and cholesterol numbers, and working with your primary care provider or other specialists to determine um, your long-term risk with that, um, you know, avoiding excessive salt, avoiding <laughs> highly palatable processed foods. All this is so fun. <laughs> and then aiming for that 150 minutes a week of exercise that you can talk during but not sing. Yeah. Oh, don't um, forget the sleep. Let's oh, yeah, get the some, sleep and the yeah, stress. Get Re- some sleep. Increase your sleep, reduce your stress. And I know it sounds overwhelming, but if you take each piece one at a time and work right. through it, it really is a manageable process. And right. the food doesn't have to be boring. Right doesn't have to be boring. <laughs> Don't scare them away. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I think this is this is great because I, I like that, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be anything super fancy, it sounds like. It sounds like a lot of really um, doable actions in order to yeah. make some big results for your health, which is what we're all about here, right? So that sounds great. Absolutely. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Amber. Thank you. It was really fun me. talking to you. And we look forward to working with you in the future on our great well. pilot program where we're starting next month. And Um, Yeah, we look forward to having you on again. Awesome. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Alphonsus Wellcast, brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing and the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Always be sure to catch new episodes by subscribing to us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. We hope you'll tune in again. Until then, be well.